Doug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on permanent good. Gregory, I'm so excited for this month. I'm also very excited. This is a franchise that I have been putting off for objectively too long. The fact that like I, Craig, am just now getting to this is absurd blows my mind i on the other hand was pretty much raised on this franchise my aunt is a lover of these books and movies and we even had pets named after characters growing up so that's where we are here (laughs) yeah for sure we are watching the lord of the rings trilogy the extended editions because from what i understand that's the way god intended for us to watch them So, uh, who are we to defy his will? (laughs) You know, you know what my favorite part is about this? What? Is that you can't say you're iconic. This movie felt like it could have ended 10 times. That's an exaggeration. Do I usually point out the second act slump that makes me feel like (laughs) I wish I was watching an episode of TV instead? Sure. But I knew what I was going into with this. Before exactly. we get into the before we get into the shtees of it all, I want to lay this out front. Um, we talk frequently about how when we normally record small and tall, we record it in two batches. Uh, we do two movies at a time to space it out. And for this one, we are doing a recording session for each individual movie. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is that's going to influence how I talk about each movie. It means I'm talking about each movie more in its own vacuum. So when I talk about Fellowship of the Ring and I say something and you're like, he's in for a surprise when he watches you know, Return of the Just King. Wait. I, Just yeah, wait. I want to... I want to let you know, it's not that I'm ignoring the other two movies. We just haven't gotten there yet. I haven't seen them yet as of recording this part. So I wanted to make sure that you guys knew that ahead of time. And the second thing is I wanted to talk about where I stood with this franchise beforehand. All right. Here's here's here we go. I read The Hobbit in eighth grade Mm -hmm. and then I tried reading Fellowship of the Ring on three separate occasions. (laughs) Now, each time I did get further than the time previous, but the furthest I ever got, I think, was The Prancing Pony. Mm. And in in book form, uh, I I think I read it on my Kindle at the time. So I think that's 30% of the way through the book. Like... At the book, you're a third of the way, you're a third of the way through by the time they make it to the prancing pony, and I just was never hooked into it. So I tried reading the book on several occasions. I just couldn't get into it. And then in high school, um, <laughs> uh, I went out with a group of friends to watch the final Hobbit movie, The Battle of Five <laughs> Armies. And I did not care for that movie very much. So that's where I am. That's where I was going into this is I have not touched Lord of the Rings in general in like six or seven years. And I bounced off of two of the three things that I did with Lord of the Rings. So I was a little cautious going into it. Not super cautious because like now I'm a grown man and I understand like 
the difference in media and hey, a movie can be better than the book or someone can relate to a movie more than they can a book. So I wasn't going into this movie with any baggage. I just kind of wanted to set the stage of my relationship with the franchise. Valid. I uh, read The Hobbit in seventh grade and then immediately started the rest of the series and I finished it. I think by summertime after that. Yeah. And I really liked The Hobbit. Like, it was a little bit above my reading level. It was a little bit above my reading level. And so there were parts of it I didn't understand, like very few parts of it. But I remember liking a lot of that book, like specifically like the riddle duel between Gollum and Bilbo. Like... I remember really enjoying that section of the book. Um, and so when I finished the book, I immediately, much to my mom's chagrin, bought all three books on my Kindle using her credit card. <laughs> and so I own all three Lord of the Rings books. I have just have never really gotten, I just wasn't interested enough in the style of writing to finish them. Um, now, I do want to say, going into Fellowship, the movie, I'm glad that I read The Hobbit, and I'm glad that I have a basic understanding of Lord of the Rings as a whole, because I feel like this movie kind of runs you through a lot of the context pretty fast, and if you don't already know it, it's kind of easy to get lost in the sauce a little bit, because... The entire sequence where they're in Hobbiton, when they're in the Shire, um, it's just a lot of like, Bilbo's important because we say he is. This ring's important because we say it is. So like, it's a little bit of like, plain internal catch up that I think it, it will increase your enjoyment a little bit if you know some context going into it. And so that's what made the first act easier for me because I already had some context. I did not need the movie to hold my hand through the first 15, 20 minutes of it. Right. It's, uh, it's very detail-oriented right at the beginning. So if you're like not laser-focused, you'll be kind of lost if you don't have that prior knowledge it's kind of like that throughout the whole movie too where i know kind of the big story beats of the franchise i i know i don't always know where they happen but i know the things that do happen and so sometimes they'll kind of slide past a big plot point and i'm like whoa we moved past that way faster than i thought we were going to um but when you're dealing with a three and a half hour movie that covers so much like you gotta cut some slack where you can for sure for sure um if you don't know the plot of lord of the rings let me break it down for you real quick (laughs) um Bilbo Baggins is a 111-year-old hobbit who has this ring that lets him turn invisible. Gandalf shows up on his on uh, Bilbo's 111th birthday, and he's like, Hey, that ring you have, um, it can cause the end of the world, and we need to get it to safety before the people that want to destroy the world get a hold of it. And so Bilbo, already corrupted by the ring's magic, is like, I can't do it. I'm going to let my nephew take care of it. And so Frodo, along with his friend Samwise, traveled across Middle Earth with this magically corrupted ring of power uh, to try to get it to safekeeping or destroy it, whichever happens first. 
uh, and they have a ragtag group of friends that they meet along the way. And that's the simple version of it. Very simple. Um, I think above all else, what I walked away from this first movie feeling is I really do enjoy the world that Tolkien has set up. I found myself interested in the bits of lore. Okay, here's a good way for you to know that I liked the world building in this movie. I remember all the character names. <laughs> and these aren't names like Thomas and Bill. It's Aragorn and Gimli. Like, Galadriel. you know, generic, like, yeah, these like big fantasy names. And I'm like, no, I know who they are. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was almost surprised at myself about that. Like, Craig, you remember everyone's name? That's, that, that's weird for you. That makes me so happy. So happy about that. Um, <laughs> the movie starts, and I, I, uh, I found this kind of funny, with a prologue that talks about like the creation of the Ring of Power and all the other rings that uh, Sauron gave to the different people of Middle-earth. And it shows this very intense, like, final battle of a war. And boy, howdy, did this movie not escape the fact that it was made in 2001. There were some shots in that opening battle sequence that, like, the style of cinematography was very 2001. Like, the close-ups of Sauron and his armor, the way it gets, like, backlit from inside the armor and just like the general like glowing effects that the enemies will have in that battle i found very cheesy and where this movie is not very cheesy in the same way really ever again i found that pretty interesting where it's like here's this big budget battle sequence and we're gonna use as much like visual effects as we can but it is 2001 so it's not very much (laughs) we have what we have and i think we did pretty good for what we had yeah yeah i mean this movie was nominated for the best visual effects i think it won it even won best visual effects at the oscars the year it got nominated and 95% of the time, it deserves that award. It's just that in that intro sequence, its age showed a little bit. Very rarely does I think this movie's age show. I think this movie has a very good, timeless feel to it. It's just that that sequence, that one sequence was a, ooh, it was a little rough. Ooh, a little rough. I think it also shows a little bit with, like you said, all the glowing effects in that scene, but also the glowing effects with the elves. Just a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to circle around to that. I took a lot of notes for this movie, which means I'm trying to like, which means this conversation will probably be pretty chronological in terms of the, the sequence of the movies. Um, I think that this movie gets revered a lot for how well it does like the hobbit size versus everyone else and it's well deserved i very much agree that like it's a it's a very cool practical effect and the first time you really get to see it is when gandalf enters bilbo's house at the beginning of the movie and like how he hits his head on everything like that was a really cool visual representation because up until that point it's like oh they're hobbits they're smaller but 
Obviously, their homes are smaller, too, so it doesn't really matter. And then Ian McKellen, a generally normal-sized dude, walks into Bilbo's house and is like, oh, he's a giant in comparison. Like, these hobbits are probably three feet tall. How tall is Ian McKellen? Let's see. I'm looking it up. See, you're looking up how tall Ian McKellen is. (laughs) I'm looking up how tall hobbits are. Hobbits are between two and four feet tall, so... And he is six feet tall, so... Um, And the behind the scenes for how they do the practical effects on the size angling is all over the place. It's not difficult to find. But it's cool every time you see it, I think. And (laughs) But sometimes you also forget. (laughs) Because what they'll usually do is they'll have, like a hobbit standing next to just one person. So they don't appear that small, really. Like, you know, you're just like, you normally just see like the hobbit from like the chest up and then the person from the legs up. But there's like one shot when they're in Rivendell and they're forming the fellowship and we get a wide shot of all the hobbits next to all the elves and Aragorn. And I'm like, I forgot they're small. I forgot how small they really were. Oh, my God. It catches you off guard. Yeah, once you get comfortable with how small the hobbits are, they're like, "Ah, surprise, they're smaller than you remember. Hobbits are just stoners. They like eating, smoking their pipe weed, and planting their plants. I really got to ask. I do not know for sure. Is pipe weed weed or is it just a nickname for tobacco? You know, I guess we got to look it up because I'm not positive, but like, seems like it. I feel like it's tobacco because it'd be a weird pivot for these hobbits to be like, (laughs) yeah, let's toke up tonight. Well, yeah, because Tolkien was like, Tolkien was a total Christian, so it's got to be tobacco. But still, it's just like that same sense of they're always eating, they're always smoking, and they love plants, which, yeah, stoners. uh, Tolkien's Tolkien's pipe weed was actually just plain old tobacco, Um, which makes sense. Uh, I love how petty Bilbo is towards all of his, like, distant relatives um because he spends his entire birthday party just hiding from people that he does not want to interact with and i relate to that on such a spiritual level like you remember your graduation party and you're like i really only care if these 15 people show up and your mom's like no we're inviting 100,000 people and you yeah. do not remember who they are and that is the worst social interaction ever Ooh, I hate it so much. And that's exactly how Bilbo was for the first, like, 30 minutes of this movie. And I just, I respect the heck out of that. Yeah. During, for my grad party, I hid for a majority of it just in the breezeway. I was like, y'all have fun out there. If you want to talk to me, you can come in here. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. Um, I've been talking for a bit. Did you have a point you wanted to make? So, you know, Bilbo does this big disappearing act because he's like, I don't want to deal with these people anymore. I'm going to go retire. And, you know, I have to leave this ring behind. And then I feel like in that moment, and even when they send Frodo off on the adventure, they do not give him enough information in the slightest. 
No, not at all. And Gandalf does it in such a cagey way, too, where, like, Frodo's like, what's the deal with this ring? Gandalf, knowing completely well what the deal with the ring is, he's like, I do not have all the answers. I must I Do not ask me questions, for I do not know the answers. I'm like, Gandalf, you kind of do. A you little do, bit. for sure. <laughs> and th- that that circles around again in Rivendell when... Frodo is like, Gandalf, why weren't you at the Prancing Pony? And he's like, I was delayed, tee hee hee. No, you were attacked by your mentor who is now serving Sauron. Let the kid in. He kind of needs to know that. You're putting this kid in danger and you're not giving him any of the details you have. And yet you're like, Frodo, the livelihood of the world relies on you the weight is on your shoulders but you don't get to know anything it's absolutely crazy um before we fully move on from bilbo um there's a meme hey guess what this movie's meme to hell and back like (laughs) holy crap there's so many um but that scene of Bilbo where he's like holding the ring and he goes, after all, why not? Why shouldn't I keep it? Is actually like a really good performance. Like I really liked that sequence right there because what I think Bilbo's actor, whose name I don't have at the exact moment. Let me um, uh, Ian Holm was the actor for that. And he did a really good job at showing the fluidity that the corruption of the ring had on people. Um, Because he would be super normal until someone was like, hey, give me the ring. And he would just snap on them. And it got scary. And I really enjoyed watching that kind of flip of like, that's something that I really like about this movie is it showcases in so many different characters just how strong the corruption of the ring is. It really like dives into the Jekyll and Hyde aspect. Yeah. What else you got? Okay. Um, so <laughs> I want to say I there are people that I'm very excited to see more of as we continue through this franchise. Uh, Christopher Lee is one of those people. I really only know Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. I know he's a much more prolific actor than that. Um, and it's showcased so well. He's only in like two scenes in this movie. And I really like that confrontation that him and Gandalf have when, you know, we first meet Saruman. Watching where where when Bilbo was corrupted by the ring, it's like a very quick snap. But watching Sauron very slowly transition into this like let's give Gandalf what he needs to s- very slowly turning into this like no Gandalf, you need to be on our side. You need to be with Sauron. It's the only way that we will survive this. Like it the scene isn't very long. It's only like four or five minutes. But watching that slow pivot, even in such a short amount of time, is like, it was very cool to watch happen. Yeah, it was yet another example of how the ring goes about manipulating people under its power and how many different versions there are of that. Yeah, because Chris, Saruman, you know, up to this point, never, probably never seen the ring, never held the ring. He just knows that it exists, but like... The fact that Sauron is rising back to power and watching Sauron's roots kind of take hold again through Middle-earth 
and how many people that corrupts along the way. That's the cool part. Um, so even though the ring is the catalyst for everything, but Sauron is like the vessel or maybe that's vice versa. You know, language is difficult, but watching, let me say watching the ring and Sauron work in tandem to kind of like get their reach as far into Middle Earth as they can is very cool. And like it really gives you a sense of how important everything in this movie is where like every time they're like, we should rest before somebody else says, no, we need to keep moving. You as an audience member are like, no, you need to keep moving. And that's a very successful way to like break down tension in a movie. Even if I'm not on the edge of my seat, I can be like, no, you can't rest right now. You are being chased. Like that is a very good portrayal of tension. Yeah, for sure. And it, this, I think overall, this movie has pretty good pacing to it in like keeping it to where you're not totally disinterested through some of the more dialogue heavy parts yeah there are really only two parts of this movie that i was like super not on board with um and one of them we'll get to them later um this movie is like kind of not afraid to be brutal in moments uh and the moment i knew that like this movie was not gonna pull punches was when they're at the prancing pony and or at least the town that the prancing pony is in i think Bree, i think is the name of the town um and mm -hmm. the nazgul catch up to them they burst through a door and trample a woman under the door i'm like oh 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 whoa we're, ju we're just doing that okay all right yeah there's they give no cares they're just like nope this is this is how it's gonna be this is where we're going with it. Zero to a hundred as fast as we can. And something um, that I... Sorry. Oh, I was going to say at the Prancing Pony is where we meet one of my favorite characters other than Samwise. Yeah. Um, I love Aragorn. We don't learn oh, Aragorn's so name much. for like an hour for some reason. But... Um, to keep up the mystery. Yeah. Uh, Aragorn is really cool. I thought I wasn't going to like him. Because when you first meet him, he gives off a little bit too much of that, like, I'm mysterious. I'm not going to let anyone in because I need to keep up my mystery. But once we get to Rivendell and we learn his name and we learn his history and we learn why he's an important character, I think that guard kind of drops a little bit. And when that guard drops... I liked him a lot more as a character to a point where, yeah, Aragorn is also one of my, if not my favorite character in this movie. Aragorn rules. <laughs> and, and that's kind of transitioning into the next thing that I wanted to say is one of my favorite themes about this movie is how quickly people are willing to support Frodo because mm -hmm. Samwise and Gandalf, they're, Fro they're Frodo's homies. Like, we expected them to be along. Then, Merry and Pippin, who are Frodo's second cousins, they're like, oh, you're in trouble? Let's, let's, okay, cool, we're in. 
nope, no problem. And I'm like, okay, Love that's cool guys. to see. And then we meet Aragorn, and Aragorn's like, I'm mysterious, but I understand the weight <laughs> of your quest, and I'm going to help you out. And we're like, hey, thanks, Aragorn. We appreciate it. But the moment that really got me is eventually the Nazgul catch up with them, and um, Frodo gets stabbed with one of their swords. And he's going through a process to where uh, he's going to turn into a Nazgul himself, into a ring wraith, they're also called. And uh, Aragorn's girlfriend, effectively, uh, Arwen, shows up. And she's like, we need to get him to my people. We need to get him to where he can get help. And Arwen, who has never met Frodo before, just flops him onto the back of her horse, gets chased by five ring wraiths also on horseback and I, I just i thought that was really cool how people understood how important this journey was and they know that frodo needs help and watching people just throw themselves at frodo and being like i am willing to help you to the end of the line just like instantly upon meeting him i thought that was i was really cool to watch that kind of like um loyalty is too low of a word to kind of give the emotion that I kind of felt when watching those sequences happen. It was all just so incredibly selfless. And in a lot of fantasy movies, you don't see a lot of that behavior. It's more of, you know, how the ring makes people act in possessive and selfish ways. But it's like without the ring, everybody's just always willing to help. But I remember... Um, while we're talking about the ring race, I remember not being able to read these books at night because the ring race <laughs> were a little too spooky. Dude, the ring races are scary. They are they, they are, are a little freaky. Too spooky for thirteen year old me to read at night. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do not blame you at all. Gosh. Um <laughs> Um so after the whole ordeal at the Prancing Pony, they eventually make it to Rivendell. Um and this is where the fellowship of the ring is formed. It's these nine people who agree to help Frodo get from Rivendell. Is that where they decide they need to go to Mount Doom to officially destroy the ring? I believe um, so. I don't know if they say it as bluntly as that like we need to go to mount doom but they know that like they need to move the ring through middle earth so and into mordor specifically so they can dispose of the ring um and that's where you get the iconic sean bean one does not simply blah 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 um and what i learned the my biggest takeaway from that scene was hugo weaving looks weird as an elf like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yes. I don't know if it's just Hugo Weaving's demeanor, but as someone who is like knows Hugo Weaving from The Matrix and he's like this very clean, mm -hmm. like shortcut, um, like businessy looking dude to be to watch him then immediately pivot into this long haired, elegant culture type man was that was a weird shift to see. I don't know if I love him in this movie. Also, Hugo Weaving's kind of mean. Me, he's not mean. He's just short and he's like stern, blunt with he's people. Stern, yeah. Yes. So, and that's kind of like the thing with the Elvish people is more often than not they do have this like nobility about them, and whenever they're around dwarves or men or hobbits, 
or anyone else that's not an elf or lower class elves. Like, they just rubs people the wrong way. And Hugo Weaving did an amazing job at portraying that concept. Yes, for sure, without a doubt. I do say, I want to just give, like, one quick little thing that I found very funny. Because there's a moment before they form the Fellowship where Samwise and Frodo are like, we got the ring to Rivendell, it's safe in Rivendell, let's go home. And Frodo's like, you're right. I'm ready to go home. And then I check the playback. We have over two hours of movie left. And I'm like, sorry, Frodo, you are not going home. <laughs> a little bit more adventure ahead of you here, buddy. I will say as someone who is currently doing their first watch through of Game of Thrones, that Sean Bean definitely carried some of Boromir into his portrayal of Ned Stark. Like, there are certain scenes where I'm like, oh, I have, you know, seen that before. Yeah, I haven't seen season one of Game of Thrones in, like, six years. Um, But, yeah, it's very Sean Bean. It's just, it's on brand for him. Um, So, after Rivendell, this is the part that I found boring at first, is they're like, how do we carry on? There's this big mountain. We can't go around it. They try to climb the mountain. Then, like, I guess Sauron starts throwing avalanches at them. And then they're like, this sucks. Let's just go through the mines of Moria. And that little transitionary sequence I felt wasn't super great. I kind of just wish they went straight into the mines. It was very much fluff. And it's like that in the book as well. Like it's just very much a placeholder of fluff to kind of just give more character interaction. (laughs) Yeah. And then once we reach the mines, then, you know, it's kind of cool again. Uh, We get to see... Gimli kind of has a really cool moment where um, someone from his legend is like we come across his coffin and there's this old tome that has, you know, more lore about the ring in there. Um, <laughs> and there's this scene where I I genuinely couldn't tell you if it was Pippin or Mary. I think it was Pippin where they're kind of trying to be stealthy through the mines and Pippin knocks over an entire skeleton into a well and it clatters the entire way down. And Gandalf is like, hey, next time you do something, just throw yourself in there too. So that way we don't have to deal with your stupidity. And I'm like, I was like whoa, Dale. whoa, uncalled for, dude. What? Like, damn, buddy, you just went there. Um, and (laughs) also when we're going through the mines, Gollum is not in nearly as much of this movie as I thought he was going to. And that's another thing that they don't touch on as much in this, in this movie as they do in other portions. And it was kind of nice to have that history of like the difference between Gollum and Smeagol is, Mm -hmm. I think, a very important portion of Gollum's character development. And because all of that character development, if I remember correctly, was done in the Hobbit book, yes. there's just kind of one scene where Gandalf is like, hey, just so you know, uh, uh, Gollum used to be a normal person. His name was Smeagol. Then he had the ring. He lived for half a millennium. And now he's like all messed up. He's just a weird looking little dude. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so I guess that's all we're getting That's what the ring can do to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
I will say, though, um, maybe the one frame that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life is when Gandalf is talking about Gollum. We see the silhouette of Gollum kind of like half climb up this ladder and then stick his head through the rungs of it. And you see his eyes kind of glow up against the silhouette. And I'm like, that's scary. It like genuinely unsettled me. Gollum is unsettling all around. Like no matter what glimpse you get, it's just always going to be unsettling. Cause like, I know what Gollum looks like, you know, that's not a surprise for me, but seeing him like, in this veil of shadow was like that. It rattled my bones a little bit. (laughs) And that is also one of the scenes where we see like just how loyal everyone is to each other because they end up having to fight quite a few beasts in the process. Yeah. And in that scene where we see Gimli and the crew at that dwarven coffin, um, they have to fight like a dozen orcs, like more orcs than I kind of thought was fair. And watching them work as a team to take down them, not just them, but then also a cave troll was very cool to see. And this brings me to a point of why does Frodo keep getting stabbed? There are... Nine people in the fellowship, and uh, two of them get stabbed. Both of them, Frodo. <laughs> because... I just say, I, dude has the opposite of plot armor. Dude gets stabbed by the ring wraith. Dude gets stabbed by the stone troll. And I'm like, my bud, you need to figure out how to stop having that happen to you. <laughs> He's always jumping in the way for his buddies. And yeah. <laughs> He hasn't learned yet that he needs to have a plan before he does so. I just thought that was kind of funny. Like, dude, this already happened to you, man. Like, fool me once, fool me twice, you know? At least he knew he had the armor that second time, though. Yeah, I feel like he forgot, though. Because I forgot. <laughs> me too, so probably. Um, And this is kind of where, this is going to come back a second time. But there were things about this movie that I could have sworn happened in Return of the King. Like, based on how movie plots happen, I thought that Gandalf dying would have been in Return of the King. Like, because, hey, spoiler, I know he comes back. Right? Gandalf the White, very big deal. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Okay. So, like, I know that. I just kind of thought that both of those things would have happened in Return of the King. Like, that would have been the big, like, final movie, Death and Resurgence. So, seeing him die in this movie rather than Return of the King still made that death very impactful. So, the fact that I was caught off guard by it in a different movie, like, I was like, whoa, even though I know you come back, the fact that this happens now, it was like, it made that sequence still cool. Um, And obviously, You Shall Not Pass, iconic line, that whole sequencing is very cool. And then we get, you know, they get out of the mines. And this is where we get to what I was talking about, where... Legolas is like, we need to rest. They're grieving their friend. And Aragorn's like, sorry, don't have time for that. We like, we got to get going. And I'm like, it sucks. But like, 
yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's like, we can grieve when we get to where we're going, but right now we just have to move. And I love in that sequence something that, like, you know, as kind of two-faced as Boromir is, the aspects of him that I in the scenes of him that I do really like is this one where he like grabs Frodo as Gandalf falls into this fiery pit and is like pulling him away because he knows that if he doesn't Frodo is gonna jump right in with him and he's like no we have to go yeah absolutely I think if they had acted fast enough they probably could have gotten Gandalf but I understand that it was a it was that was too big of a risk for them to take and Gandalf knew that too. So like, it's a bummer, but it was a calculated risk and I and I get it. Um, we also get to see uh, Samwise. We, we also get to see Samwise as uh, the OG frying pan wielder. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, this was about the part of the, no, actually that's not even that. Um, it's crazy that Merry and Pippin are part of this journey because uh, I asked my friend like, Hey, do Mary and Pippin ever become important? And she's like, not really. They're just kind of there. They're just kind of along for the ride. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. As long as, as long as I know that now to just like understand that Mary and Pippin are just kind of there. That makes the rest of this go down a little bit smoother. Like I should not be expecting much from these two. That's fine. They're just the peanut gallery. That's all. Yeah. Um, and this is the set. Now we're reaching the second part of the movie that I didn't love. And I don't know if it's from like a structural sound point or if there's a just a different kind of way this could have been reworked. Um, and it's the whole sequence with Galadriel. Um, I that was the one part of the movie that where I walked away and I'm like, I do not understand what just happened. Like, I could tell you what happened. Uh, Galadriel took Frodo into like this viewing chamber. She's like, hey, look into this. And it was um, the potential future. If the fellowship failed and, and did not deliver the ring, it showed the rise of Sauron. And it's like, hey, here's what's at stake. And then that's followed with, Frodo being like, I don't want the ring. You can take the ring if you want it. And Galadriel's like, well, if you insist, I guess I'll take the ring. And then she's like, no, I must be stronger than that. I must resist the temptation of the ring of power. And she's like, phew, I've passed my test. I can resist the ring of power. And then they move on. They leave that town. They leave that kind of area. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what just happened. I'm sure this will circle back around at some point. But right now, this, this was nothing. Did you catch when it did circle around, though? No. So that kind of scene there where she's saying, like, she's resisted the power. It's a test of not only, like, her own strength with her own ring that she is the holder of, is the bearer of, but that Frodo can actually trust her motives. And so then later on, when there's that interaction with Boromir in the woods and he's like, give me the ring. It, he failed his test. And then Aragorn comes and he's like, I would follow you into the depths of Mordor. That's him passing the test of being able to resist the power and being true in his virtue. Okay. Okay. That, okay. That makes more sense. All makes right. more sense. Yeah. It's just that not everyone is saying like, I passed my test. It was just so right. weird that like Galadriel said it so plainly. Um, 
And then Galadriel also gives Very everybody like though. a bunch of like magic items and stuff that I'm sure we'll see later. Um, and a character that we haven't talked much about that I know he's more important later on, but right now, uh, Legolas is kind of just the bowman, where it's like, ah, oh, we're in trouble. Legolas, mm-hmm. shoot that guy. Like that's kind of all Legolas does in this first movie is like, uh, uh, someone's attacking us. Legolas, shoot him, please. Yeah. Next next movie, we get all the Legolas glory. In Two yeah. Towers, that's his time to shine. Um. I also found Galadriel just kind of a confusing character because she would flip flop between this like optimism and pessimism because when the fellowship first arrive, everyone's kind of like without Gandalf, we're done for. And Galadriel's like, no, as long as the fellowship still exists, there is hope. And then she 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 brings Frodo to the back and she's like, "Hey, if you mess this up, things go downhill fast. So like, <laughs> you you got to be real careful here, bud." And then she talks to Aragorn and she's like, "Hey, I know you mean well, but Arwen, she's either going to die or fall out of love with you. So like, good luck with that." And I'm like, "Hey, Galadriel, are you trying to help them or not? Because I genuinely cannot tell." She, you know what? She tried to give hope, but she kept it real at the same time, and she's yeah. a G for that. <laughs> yeah. I just I I maybe I just need to rewatch this movie a few times. And that's another thing about this movie is the things I might I might or someone else could very easily complain about, like, they moved to the, through this sequence too fast. I didn't pick up on all the details. Like, this movie is good enough to where I would sit through all three and a half hours of this movie again. And I know that watching it a second time would make some of these more confusing scenes make a little bit more sense. So... I'm willing to put some of the weight on myself, but I also think that maybe those scenes could have been structured in a different way to where like just the vibe was a little different. For sure. I mean, I haven't, I've, well, okay. I've seen these movies, you know, more times than I can count at this point, And I'm still noticing new things to this day. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, and this kind of leads into this bigger theme that I noticed where like Frodo does not feel like a main character for a multitude of reasons, for two big reasons. One, I think that Elijah Wood, say what you will about his career past this. And I just think that in this movie, Frodo could have been anyone. Like, you could have put any other dude in there, and I'm sure we would have gotten a very similar performance out of that character of Frodo. Now, here's my prediction, is Elijah Wood's going to pull a real Mark Hamill here, where the first two <laughs> movies are like, eh, whatever. He's the main guy. I'll I'll get over it, whatever. And then in that third movie is when that those acting chops are really going to come out, and like his performance is going to carry that final movie. Cause that's how I felt about uh return of the Jedi was like Mark Hamill carried return of the Jedi, but in a new hope, I don't like Mark Hamill that much. Um, and I think the same is true about Elijah Wood. And the second thing is like Frodo's the least important character. 
<laughs> just in general, where things are happening around him that he just happens to be present for. Like, Aragorn and Boromir and Legolas and Gandalf, they're doing all the heavy lifting vis-a-vis getting stuff done. Frodo does very little in this movie. So it's kind of interesting that when Frodo does have the spotlight, I kind of forget that like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be the big deal around here. Um, because he isn't up in, for very few moments of this movie. I am pinning this and I am going to ask you how you feel about this in the last movie when we discuss that. For sure. Because so I will forget. Come back to this. I yeah, I will forget. <laughs> uh, can you guess? Can you guess what part of this movie makes me cry? Um, is it the very end? Not quite, but it's close. Okay, because it's the very the the closest I came to tearing up was at the very end. So this is another thing that caught me off guard: is Boromir dies in this movie, and yes. I know. Hey, Sean Bean dies in everything. That's the joke, right? <laughs> Again, I would have guessed he died in Return of the King because he's very important in this movie. Boromir is like the flagpole for the race of man. Boromir is like the representation. He represents the race of man in the Fellowship. Aragorn kind of does, but he's the heir of... Of a past king, and he has like elvish tendencies about him. He's kind of mixed in that sense. So Boromir <laughs> is like the man. And because of that, I expected him to last another movie or two. Um, You'd think. And when he dies, he gives this very poetic speech to Aragorn because him and Aragorn clash throughout the entirety of the movie because Aragorn doesn't like being human. Boromir is like, you got to embrace it, dude. What are you ashamed of? And as Boromir is dying, he kind of gives this poetic speech where he's like, Hey, you are good. Like you are a good person. And like whatever path you choose is going to be the correct one because you are the one that's going down that path. And it's, it's an absolutely gorgeous moment between these two characters. Yeah. That that's exactly the moment that makes me cry. So it's not the very, very end, but it's close to it, but it's so like, I'm already like tearing up during that speech, but then when Aragorn kisses him on the forehead after he dies, I'm done for done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the part for me is at the very end. The, my very last note that I have in here is when uh, Frodo believes that he do, that the fellowship is only going to end in everybody dying. Because Gandalf died, Boromir died, and Frodo's like, this ring is corrupting everybody. I can't allow it to be around anyone other than me. And so he abandons the fellowship. He gets on this boat, and he starts just leaving on his own and Samwise is chasing after him. He's just far enough away to where like he has to swim to the boat to catch him. And, and Frodo is trying to negotiate with Sam. Like, don't follow me. Like I'm not good for you. And there's just the, the quote that I wrote down is when Frodo goes, I'm going alone. And Samwise goes, and I'm coming with you. And, Samwise doesn't know how to swim, but he's running headfirst into this lake and 
he tries swimming out to the boat and is not able to and starts to drown. And Frodo jumps in after him and pulls him onto the boat. And he's like, I'm glad you came after me. I wouldn't be able to do this without you. And that whole sequence, I'm like, oh, it's, oh, my God. That that had me going. Talk about loyalty. Samwise is the image of loyalty. And then you have, yeah. right after that, you have Legolas and Aragorn and Gimli being like, oh, the fellowship is over. And then they're like, no, Merry and Pippin have been kidnapped. Let's go save some hobbits. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that pans out. Because like I said, Merry and Pippin are not exactly fleshed out characters. And um, nobody really, no one in the Fellowship really likes them. Like Aragorn is like kind of bullying them the whole time. And so it'll be interesting to see those motivations fleshed out when they do actually go after Merry and Pippin. So I don't know anything about two towers like pretty much everything i know about lord of the rings happens in fellowship and return of the king so this middle section here i'm like going in completely blind i'm so excited Uh, wrapping up uh fellowship i'm very excited to delve deeper into this world um and i think this movie does a pretty good but not perfect job at setting up the world for newcomers. I think this movie, if you have never seen a Lord of the Rings property before, requires more than one watch to like get it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I th- it's difficult to watch this movie or rate this movie in a vacuum because it doesn't exist in a vacuum anymore. It never has. So going into it with the mindset that I did and the knowledge that I did, I still came out of this movie enjoying it more than I anticipated. Um, I'm giving this an eight and a quarter. Ooh, okay. Okay, I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) That's kind of surprising to me. I didn't expect it to be that high for you. I liked it a lot. That makes me so happy. Oh my God. Yeah, I, uh, I'd i give it an eight and a quarter, eight and a half. All right, let us move on to the middle child of this trilogy. And I think I mean that kind of across the board. Um, Lord of the Rings Two Towers is the next movie in the, in, in the, in the franchise, which I always thought was fun because it was like, oh, Two Towers is the second entry in the Lord of the Rings. It's how uh-huh. I kept them all straight. Because, like, Fellowship in a vacuum could be any of them. That title gives nothing away. And then you have two towers, and you're like, well, that's not the second one. That is asinine naming conventions that you've brought to us. And then the third one is Return of the King. And obviously, the king must have left for him to return. (laughs) So... So uh, that, uh, that you know, process of elimination, that must be the third one. It's like those uh, mobile game ads where it's like, Johnson's last name is Smith, but it's not Jackson. And then you have to, it's like, a, it's like Clue. It's the world's worst game of Clue. <laughs> I'm proud of you for uh, using your resources to remember the order. Hey, if there's one thing that school taught me, it's how to take a test how to use critical thinking, and how to not combine those two skills. <laughs> they are completely separate <laughs> skills that have no overlap whatsoever. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about 
the movie itself. So this one in general, I kind of want to give like the tone indicator here at the start. I had a much harder time staying engaged in this movie than the one previous. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I just think there was a lot about this movie that I didn't care about. Um, a whole swaths of sections that I would be not heartbroken if we cut out. Not to say that the whole story needs to be rewritten, but like there were just some sections I found very boring. And therefore, like the whole movie kind of um, fell. Now, I don't want to say fell apart. That's harsh. But like the whole movie was weakened because of it. Yeah, it's a lot of exposition, but I feel like, you know, maybe you should rewatch the theatrical release instead of the extended cut and see if you feel the same. Uh, no, I have the extended editions. I'm watching the extended edition. Sorry. <laughs> I just meant like, you know, in the future, just so you could know. Okay. Yeah, maybe maybe if I do a rewatch, I'll rewatch the theatricals just just so I know what like what the released vision was. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. They they go over this in the beginning of the movie. Are Gondor and Rohan the two towers? Um, I believe. Or are the two towers something completely separate? I believe no. There's something separate. Okay. Okay. So, but they are, they're both in, they're both in Gondor though. Okay. So here's the gist of this movie, right? We left the last movie. Merry and Pippin had been kidnapped by orcs. Sam and Frodo, uh, are now traveling solo to Mordor and everyone else is effectively trying to save Merry and Pippin from the orcs, right? Um, the rest of the gang never gets back together. Like, once these guys get separated, they are separated for the rest of this movie. They do not come back into contact with each other. And what's crazy is, like, Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli are the three that are going after Merry and Pippin. And they are following the trail of the orcs very closely. Like, at most... First of all, they somehow managed to become a full day behind the orcs, which, like... I feel like they could have caught up a lot faster. Like, Merry and Pippin were not gone that long before the gang was like, we should probably go save them. Okay, but but Legolas and Gimli are often so far behind Aragorn in every single scene where they're walking. (laughs) So with Gimli in the back, they had a lot to make up for. Which is crazy because Legolas gives, like, very dexterous vibes. I would imagine him to be the one at, at the front of the pack. Um, but he's used to a horse, not his legs. This is true. Um, and I just find it very funny because there's a good 45 minutes. Not, I mean, like, at about 45 minutes into the movie is when that trio inevitably loses Mary and Pippin for good. And I say for good loosely. Um, their goals change from finding the the hobbits to we got more pressing matters. Um, and so I just found that kind of funny where it's like, all right, we spent 45 minutes of this movie looking for these two guys and we didn't even find them. All right, cool. Well, <laughs> they, they got close, but then Gandalf was like, no, I need you for other things. They're fine. They'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. They run back into Gandalf and Gandalf is, you know, Ga- <laughs> uh, Gandalf returns and- as Gandalf the yeah, he returns as Gandalf the White. 
Um, as again, I knew he was going to do, could have sworn that would have been a return of the King thing. Gandalf really kind of played his hand super early. Um, but <laughs> the way Gandalf describes him, like effectively coming back to life where like he spent like a thousand years battling this demon and he just kind of like it from our perspective, he just kind of like shows up a month <laughs> later. It's like, Oh, Oh, hi Gandalf. And he's like, has this very weary face of like, I've been battling the same fire demon for a thousand years, but no, let's find your stupid hobbits. And I'm like, okay, man, sorry. Sorry you died. Sorry you fell. Your fault. Um, we also get a lot of Gollum in this movie. This is, this is where we really focus on Gollum. And I just got to say, uh, Andy Serkis, love him. Your man... You are a fantastic performer. The voice was like 10% too raspy for me to the point where I was just like, I didn't want to hear the message that he said because it just made me like so uncomfortable. That was the point, I think. But and like that's a hot that's a hot I agree. take you have here in the year 2023. And like, I agree that's the point. And I'm not disagreeing that they shouldn't have had like a raspiness to it. But if he was at like, if he was dialed up to 11, nine would have been fine. If that makes sense. <laughs> like it was a little bit too much in terms of the, the, the actual raspiness to where if I didn't have subtitles on, I don't know if I would have understood what he was saying. That's valid. That's a hot take to have though. And again, I like Gollum as a character. So like, it's just, it's literally that one thing where I'm like, if I could, if I could wave a magic wand and change one thing about this movie, that's what it would be. Yeah. This one is like 20 layers deep with exposition. And so there, like you said earlier, it sometimes becomes a lot to follow. Um, yes. So (laughs) the big crux of this movie what I'm going to more than the ring, more than the journey, more than like anything else. Um, the big uh, focal point of this movie is the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is a phrase that I have heard so many times. And now I finally have context for it. <laughs> like it's one of those things where I've just heard the phrase the Battle of Helm's Deep so many times. You just kind of like wrote it off as one of those like nonsensical phrases like, eh, that's just a thing people talk about. But n- now I know. Now I know. Um, uh, so there's this village, not this village, there's this city called Rohan and the king of Rohan was the short version is under Saruman's spell. And he like banished his nephew and almost sent away his daughter and uh, crippled the defenses of Rohan. And then Gandalf and the remains of the fellowship roll up and they're like, something seems off about this. And long story short, they break Saruman's spell over the king and they're kind of like, hey, bud. Um, uh, you're in a pretty not good way right now because you are the linchpin of man's defense against Saruman. So you need to like batten down the hatches. And the king is like, don't worry. I know exactly what to do. Let's leave. Mm-hmm. And so they, <laughs> and so they leave Rohan to 
this valley called Helm's Deep. It's this very fortified uh, area that's like incredibly thick stone walls. Um, it's like one of the most defensible positions in all of Middle Earth. And that's the majority of this movie is transporting the people of Rohan from Rohan to Helm's Deep. And then uh, subsequently defending Helm's Deep. So I think that if you're going to walk away from anything with anything from this movie, that's the important part is all of the Helm's Deep stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's the main like the main focus is what's left of the fellowship and then every once in a while you get to see what Pippin and Mary are up to with the Ents and then you'll see Sam, Frodo and Gollum walking again some more and then walking and then walking Sam and Frodo Sam and Frodo after like again that 45 minute mark become the least important characters in this movie. And that like that's not even an exaggeration because Mary and Pippin are negotiating a treaty with the Ents. The fellowship is, you know, handling a war on two fronts. And then like you said, Sam and Frodo are they're just walking. I do want to say <laughs> the movie starts with a very intricate kind of like journey um montage of Sam and Frodo wandering Middle-earth. And I mean wandering. They are lost. So and lost. If I, and if I was them, if it was me and one dude with limited nutritional resources and a vague sense of where we're going and all we know is that we're going the wrong way, I would have had a panic attack until my heart stopped. I would have been having to calm you down and be like, no, Craig, we're fine. We're going to figure it out. We're, we're going to find our way. It's fine. My directionally challenged self trying to find my way yeah. through Middle Earth. So, and I just want to say, they, every now and then, they would like crest a mountain and we could see Mordor in the distance and be like, oh, cool. Just go that way. And then like <laughs> 40 seconds later, they're like, we're lost again. I'm like, guys, it was that way. It was that way. I don't know what to tell. It was that, it was that way. And so Gollum becomes their effectively guide through Middle-earth. Um, and it's this really interesting dynamic, I think, between the three of them. Because Gollum wants the ring, obviously. But he has this like weird loyalty to the master of the ring, where it's kind of like this concept of if you can't beat him, join him. So like, if I can't have the ring, I can at least help the person that does. And Sam is like, I don't know. This guy's still kind of sketchy. Not the biggest fan of him. And Gollum's like, same, but double at you. Um, and it's this weird kind of like pseudo, pseudo hostile traveling environment. And meanwhile, you have Frodo over here that like, <laughs> what I really like, what I really liked about Frodo in this movie is I really liked how he went out of his way to still try to recognize the humanity in Gollum. He almost never refers to Gollum as Gollum. He's he refers to him as Smeagol, which was his name before he got corrupted by the ring. And I thought that was a really cool detail to be like Frodo still sees the good in Gollum and is willing to put enough trust in him to like lead them through this journey. Yeah, multiple times Sam is there just like, you know, we should just 
we should just kill him while we're ahead. We got him. He's gonna kill us if we don't kill him. And then Frodo's like, no, I can fix him. I can fix him, Sam. <laughs> yeah, man, if someone can fix Gollum, they deserve an award. Truly. Uh, I will say that we also get to see the ring beginning to corrupt Frodo as Frodo is around it more during this. Yes. And Frodo is corrupting kind of the way that Bilbo did in fellowship where he has that like short snappy attitude. When people try to come at the ring, he's like Mm -hmm. back off. Like he, he almost stabbed Sam at one point. And it's like a very intense moment where Sam is just like, Whoa, Hey, yo, it's, it's me. It's Sam. You are you are you are worrying me, man. And I I think it's good that he has Sam there for him in those moments cuz Sam calls him out on it and is like, "You're losing yourself to the ring. Like, come on. Get it together." Yeah. Um so it, it was the ring plays such a small part in this movie uh, like compared to the role it played in the first one and compared to everything else in this movie. Like, the ring, it really takes a backseat to just kind of, like, the world of Middle-earth. I will say I am not mad at how much Aragorn content we got. We got a lot of Aragorn content today. Happy, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. Not all of it made sense. It will make more sense <laughs> next time. You said this last time too. You said you said this you said this last time. Hey, and it more just, and more from last time makes sense this time and more from this time will make sense next time, okay? I promise. So, we get a lot of Aragorn flashbacks where um he he has a flashback with Arwen who is like his girlfriend back in Rivendell and Hugo Weaving is like, "Hey, um if you're going to leave, do you want to break up with my daughter before you do that? And or and Aragorn's like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. I don't really want to do that. And Hugo Weaving is like, okay, let's put it this way. Either you die out there and she is sad or you complete your quest, come home, live a merry life. You're just a dude. You're gonna die first. One way or another, she will be mourning your death. So why don't we just nip it in the bud right now and aragorn is like huh that makes enough sense to where i'm gonna try to leave without saying goodbye to my girlfriend and arwen doesn't take that very well love her if you'd believe it love her for that love her for that for calling him out and being like uh hello i can make my own decisions my father does not need to make them for me yeah and but not to mention that then shortly after that we find out that aragorn is 87 years old. (laughs) Yeah. He has been specifically blessed with long life because he's the descendant of the king of man. Like, like, guys, this analogy is not that far off. He's a little Jesus. He's a little (laughs) Jesus-y. And and Hugo Weaving's like, I don't want this for my daughter. (laughs) Go be a carpenter. Leave my daughter alone. Yeah, uh, I forgot Carl Urban was in this movie. He's not in very much of this movie, but the fact that he's in it, I'm so used to Carl Urban, like as Bones in Star Trek or Billy Butcher in The Boys, that very like clean, short black hair 
and so to see him with this elegant, flowy blonde hair, I'm like, Carl Urban. Mm. Carl Urban, is that you? Oh my goodness. Hey. Like, hey, Carl. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. And so he plays the uncle of the aforementioned King of Rohan. You know, the 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 nephew that gets banished. And <laughs> and and he is the reason why the fellowship gives up on looking for Marion Pippin. Because uh what's his name? Uh Aenir, something like that. One of these fake names, you know how it goes. Um, Faramir? Uh, Aemir. Aemir is him, is Carl Urban. And so him and his gang, they're like, well, we better protect Rohan while we can. They find a group of orcs. They murk them, easy peasy. And then the fellowship rolls up and they're like, hey, we think these orcs have our friends. And then Aemir's just kind of like, well, bad news then. We have already killed and burned everybody. Sorry. And so the fellowship <laughs> And so the fellowship just kind of like hangs their head and they're like, "Well, guess we lost the hobbits." And then Aemir's like, "Hey, don't worry. T- take these horses as like an apology, I guess." Like, uh, and I, I found that very horses. funny. He goes, "Take these horses and uh, you know, look through the rubble." And then that's how they find the path to Gandalf. Yes. Yes. Um, and I love when they meet back up with Gandalf, Gandalf's like, well, if you two have horses, I'm going to call a horse. And this like magnificent (laughs) white stallion crosses this elegant, gorgeous field. And he's just like, yeah, this is the king of horses. We've been pretty good friends for a long while. And I'm like, Gandalf, that is a normal horse. That's just a normal horse. (laughs) This horse doesn't even talk. As far as kings of horses go, I am unimpressed. It doesn't have a crown. It doesn't talk. It's just a horse. It is. Yeah. And I I think Gandalf just felt left out. He's like, I'm dead, (laughs) but I've come back. I need need to stunt on these guys. I got to flex real quick. Yeah. Um... I think what I really liked about the walking part, which, again, not a lot of this movie, but it was nice to see a lot of Middle Earth that wasn't just cities. Um, Mm -hmm. Because of this movie, we see places like the Dead Marshes, which is scary. Horrifying. Very scary. Because, like, the Dead Marshes are, like, these very gray and bleak swamplands. That just have bodies, just, you know, corpses just floating in the water. And um, Frodo gets a little too close to one of them. The ring starts doing its, you know, corruption thing. We see, like, a Scooby-Doo-esque green skeleton spirit uh, emerge through the water and bring Frodo down under the water and starts drowning him. And surprisingly, Gollum is the one that saves him. Yeah, and so that whole sequence was just like, it wasn't like scary, scary, like nightmare scary, but it was like very intense and like scary enough to where you notice. It was just unsettling enough. Yeah, and and it's little pieces like that that I think this movie does very well. Just these little nuggets of like, here's pieces of Middle Earth. I will say that, Legolas proved himself to be a fantastic friend throughout this entire movie with his yeah all of his motivations and his little actions because like you know he's 
always the one to be like, are you sure we should be going through with this? Because, like, let's look at the odds here. We can be the hero, but, like, let's think about what happens if we're not the hero. And then, you know, he and during the battle scene towards the end, he and Gimli are keeping count of their kills, <laughs> which is yes, so good. And then when, so Aragorn gets pushed off a ridge into rocky rivers below and loses the necklace that Arwen gave him and Legolas returns it to him which made me tear up a little bit maybe yeah so for perspective um the battle of Helm's Deep was just like a very hastily thrown together militia versus the entire armed forces of Saruman and well I think it's technically the armed forces of Sauron because Saruman was in Gondor Mm -hmm. officially Mm -hmm. um regardless it was a 300 person army filled with children and old men alike and they were up against a 10,000 Urukai army real real good odds yeah and so this whole time Legolas is like guys I understand we want to defend Helm's Deep. We want to defend our people. Is it maybe in our best interest to to not? Like, sure, we could die fighting, but we're definitely going to die. And then the elves show up and help save the day, kind of, even though it's still really rough. (laughs) Really rough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, let's be clear. We lose the battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah. Helm's Deep gets overtaken. Yeah. It's just, we put a real dent in the army before they did that. This is true. This is true. Um, So let's talk about Gondor. And so uh, Gondor is where Boromir came from. It's where, you know, he was Boromir of Gondor. And so that's where Sam and Frodo end up. Uh. They're about to enter Mordor, uh, but they're unable to. They get, like, kind of captured by Boromir's brother and gets taken to Gondor because he has the ring and... um, Faramir. What's his name? Foramir? Is his name literally... Is it Boromir and Foramir? I think it's... I don't don't know if it's Faramir. I think it's Faramir. Faramir is like, we know where the one ring is. In order to protect Gondor, let's bring the ring back and just use it as a weapon. Which also, gang, I don't know what his plan was with it. Sure, the ring turns you invisible. It's not like a gun. So (laughs) I I would love to know what the end game was for him with uh, taking the ring back to to Gondor. Um, Regardless, Faramir is responsible for bringing Sam and Frodo to Gondor. Uh, there's another battle that happens. So there's the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Battle of Gondor happening at the same time. And we kind of get this, like, it's very obvious that, like, the Battle of Gondor is less less important. Uh, we hardly even see the end of it. It's like, hey, Saruman's here. They attack the tower that Saruman's in. Sam and Frodo continue on their journey. Gollum leads them down the path. You know, whatever. Um... So, I will say, we only see the Ringwraiths once in this movie, and it's in Gondor. Still just as equally terrifying. Yes, absolutely. There, so, during 
the Battle of Helm's Deep, there comes a moment where Gimli and Aragorn have to jump in front of this herd of soldiers that are trying to break down the door. And so Aragorn literally like throws Gimli into the thick of it and then jumps in himself. And that, mm -mm, you could never, never would I do something like that. <laughs> never am I jumping into a crowd of swinging swords. No, thank you. Yeah, well, because in Fellowship, there was a point where Gimli was like, D you don't throw dwarves. Sorry. Uh, you may think it's fun and cute, but do not throw dwarves. And so Gimli and Aragorn are like, there's a big gap between them and the soldiers they need to attack. And Gimli just kind of like swallows his pride for a second. And he just goes, toss me. Toss me. <laughs> don't just toss tell, me over. Don't tell the elf. D yes. Yeah. Uh, and so... I really liked Gimli a lot in this movie. I think he was very much a secondary character in Fellowship, but you, there's a lot of really shining Gimli moments in this movie. I will say my favorite moment of this whole movie is when Legolas shield surfs down a stairwell. Yes. Hello? Hello? That was sick as hell. Oh, told you this was Legolas' movie. Yeah. And so you just get to see Legolas do a bunch of cool archer stuff. Like all the cool archer stuff you want a cool archer to do, he does it. And I mean, like the, the best parts of this movie is when it is just a very creative and practical action movie. And so that's why we're kind of okay with the last hour of this movie being just kind of one long action sequence. It definitely built up to it. So it, it there was some payoff there. And we, you know, this film also gives us some really great memes. Like the last one did. We have the, you have no power here. And the hobbits are going to Isengard. Yes. Yes. Both of those. Um, Big, big fans of those. So if you haven't noticed, we haven't talked about Merry and Pippin in like 20 minutes. And that's because that's about the treatment that this movie gives them. So after they escape from the orcs, um, I don't know if they're with orcs or Urukai, re regardless. Um, they escape to this forest that's filled with Ents, uh, effectively tree people. But don't tell them that they're tree people. They get very mad about that. <laughs> And so every now and then we just cut back to Merry and Pippin and they're like, hey, giant tree people, you would be a pretty big asset in this land destroying war that's about to go down. And they're like, we'll think about it. And they have this huge council and they only speak in Entish when they're conversing with each other and Entish by design is a very slow language. And so they're holding this council to try to decide whether or not they should go to war. And they spend half a day just doing formalities because that's how long it takes their language to speak. And Mary and Pippin are just kind of like, this sucks. Can we just have, can you just, can you just help us please? And so I guess Mary and Pippin were like the comedic relief for this. Like every time, like we've been, you know, <laughs> drowning in the doom of Rohan for too long. They're like, let's go check in with the tree people. You know, you know what they really needed? No. The Lorax. They needed the Lorax. 
Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it would have gone so much faster. Absolutely. And there was also this weird bit that they did where, like, I think, Lord help me, I know one of them is Mary and I know one of them is Pippin. Gun to my head, couldn't <laughs> tell you which one's which. I think it's Mary that drinks the Ent water and he, like, learns a little bit of Entish that way and grows a little taller. And it just, like, nothing amounts from that. Like, he doesn't become part Ent. Yeah. Um. And so that's kind of what I mean. Like, they're the comedic relief. If we were to cut almost all of the Ent stuff out, this movie would almost be changed. Not at all. There's one significant moment with the Ents, and it's at the very end of the movie when the Battle of Gondor is going absolutely poorly. They are getting their asses rocked. And then the Ents show up, and we're like, don't worry, we got this. And then an Ent takes the dam, breaks it, and unleashes what must have been a Pacific Ocean's worth of water onto the battlefield. And it does so much collateral damage that I, the viewer, was like, was that the best option in the long run? I feel like we could have just kept going as is. This seems a bit unnecessary. Yeah, they were, uh, fudge. I forgot where I was going to go with that. It just went out of my head. Hold on. Give me just a second. Nope, it's not coming back. But I agree. (laughs) It definitely... (laughs) It definitely could have been cut out and not much would have been changed. But, you know, maybe maybe there will be more help later on. I guess we'll see. I don't like this weird dangling cliffhanger that you're giving me. Like, you said it in a way to try to, like, maybe if you watch the next one. Like, I'm no, not I already going to watch them. <laughs> okay. I, I genuinely don't remember. So that was a maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But, oh. I will say that it kind of seemed like uh, Mary and Pippin were just constantly like, yeah, let's, we got to get back to Sam and Frodo. We, we got to help out the fellowship. We, we just got to do something. We have to be involved. Meanwhile, I'm pretty sure Gandalf sent them off this way to make sure they were out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does. Listen, Gandalf was never a fan of Merry and Pippin. And the second that he's like, oh, we're going to send them to talk to the Ents. What a great idea. And. Gandalf oh, Gandalf doesn't even show up at the Battle of Helm's Deep until it's like over. And I'm like, you couldn't have shown up yes. like an hour earlier. <laughs> like, come on. Um, there's this very cool moment. Gandalf is not a very sincere person, all things considered. Like he's very sincere with Bilbo. He's sometimes sincere with Frodo, and that's it he's mean to everyone else and so when gandalf returns as gandalf the white and aragorn's kind of like catching him up to speed there's a moment where frodo is or where he's like and frodo has the ring and he's traveling by himself and aragorn's like well alone is a strong (laughs) word and gandalf's like what do you mean by that and aragorn says well Sam is with him and Gandalf just has like a moment of quiet where he's like good good and I'm like that was such like a uh, that was a very wholesome moment where I think even when Gandalf pulled Samwise into the Hobbit house back in fellowship and like effectively forced Sam to go on this journey like Sam has always been Gandalf's surefire like 
Gandalf knows that Frodo has it in him to succeed, but he doesn't unless Sam is there too. And so that kind of moment of realization where we as the audience kind of fully understand Sam's weight in this grand scheme of everything, where even Gandalf is like, Sam is necessary for Frodo's journeys. And just that small little nod was enough to convey like all of that. And that brings me to where there's like a moment where we go to Rivendell where Gladriel is speaking again and she's like talking about how Frodo has begun to accept that this journey will end with the end of his life and I think Sam being there as he accepts that kind of keeps him from falling too deep into that spiral of this is a possibility that I will not survive this and which the ending where they're talking about you know Sam's like, do you think they'll tell stories about this, about us, or and make songs about it? My children will ask my favorite story, and I'll be like, oh, I have a good one about Frodo. And then Sam, and then Frodo's like, yeah, and you forgot the biggest character, Samwise the Brave. Yeah, that was a very good moment. I it's so good. I yeah. Um, I think uh, you know the last movie had a moment of that too, which is like Sam and Frodo are like. They are so necessary for each other because, you know, I I think Frodo has a good head on his shoulder and I think he's a very critical person. Um, And I and critical in terms of situations like I think Frodo is very good at like understanding what must happen next. But Sam is there to like balance him out. And when Sam gets a little too brash, a little too irrational, Frodo's the one that can step in and be like, whoa, this is unlike you. Calm down. Exactly. They are always there for each other. And I love the just the little wholesome moments we get with them at the end of each of these movies so far. Yeah, this conversation has completely changed how I feel about this movie. Because I ended this movie and I was kind of like, eh, you know, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I planned on giving this a high rating, like higher than I think I might have if this movie did not exist in a, in a, in a trilogy. Um, but now that we've talked about it more, this movie has a lot of really good elements in it. I think the pacing's kind of whack and like um, just the general subject matter is not exactly what you expect when it comes to a sequel to Fellowship of the Ring. But when you Mm -hmm. really come down and dissect it, like, here's what I kept thinking about when I was thinking about how to review this movie. And I think the biggest reason that this movie, on IMDb, this movie has an 8.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, That's a little high for me. I think that's too high for this movie in a vacuum. But... This movie doesn't exist in a vacuum. This movie is a part of something greater, something larger than itself. And it's one of those things where the sum of all parts is greater than each individual piece. And I think that this movie is the biggest showcase of that, where like maybe the movie itself is a little weaker but it reinforces everything that we loved about all the characters in Fellowship. So that's kind of why I'm cool with giving this movie a higher rating than I normally might, because I think this movie stands for so much more than the Battle of Helm's Deep and 
Sam and Frodo being chased by ring wraiths. Mm-hmm. Like it's like this as a whole, this movie is so much more than that. For sure. So what what are you giving it? I am giving it a 7.75. Okay. Okay. I am going to give it just a solid 8, I think. Pretty much yeah. for the same like reasons as you along with a little nostalgia on top the little the little extra quarter there is the little nostalgia i think because like you said this movie is definitely like existing in the trilogy it is definitely to get us from point a fellowship to point b which is return of the king and so it's like to fill in that exposition and give us all the background we need for what is to come and so i'm very excited to lead into Return of the King here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's wrap this puppy up. Let's go to Return of the King. This is where everybody gets to hear me talk about Viggo Mortensen for an hour. Yes, this is prime Viggo Mortensen. Like, he's good in, like, the whole trilogy. But, I mean, like, this movie's named after him. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is his movie. Yeah, um... And walking away from this movie, I'm just going to kind of set the tone for how I felt about this movie right up front, Mm -hmm. is I think at the end of the day, Fellowship of the Ring is still my favorite of the trilogy. Um, And this movie did kind of the same thing that Two Towers did, where like I wasn't as invested in a lot of the stuff that was happening in terms of like grand story-wise, but the world that is built around this is so engaging. Like I kind of didn't care. So while it would have been nice to have some more engaging, like finale pieces, um, the movie itself is still really cool and exciting. And um, that's kind of where I stand kind of going into it. Okay. Uh, I am, I, I could see where you're coming from, but also I just absolutely love this one. And I cry for the last 45 minutes of it. Every single time I watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I did not cry for this movie, which I kind of, which was weird. I, I like expected to cry. Um, maybe it's just because, hey, this one's four and a half hours. And I don't know if I was just had like the emotion. It's, I don't know if I had like the emotional tank, the emotional fuel to b- cry at any point. There were definitely heartwarming moments for sure. But I think um, to to cross that gap, I was a little drained by the time we got to the end. Didn't you watch this one in two sessions? I did, See, yes. I think that um, might also play a factor in it because like watching it all unfold at the same time kind of, I think, draws you in even deeper to kind of create that connection. Because I watched it all in one sitting and I was a blubbering little baby. Yeah, um, I think... This is now the longest movie I've ever watched. Um, Hands down. Because before this, it was Gone with the Wind, which was four hours flat. And then this clocks in closer to like four and a half. Um, Maybe closer to like 410, 415 when you factor in It was like 423. Okay, cool. Um, So this is definitely... And like... If you've ever looked up, like, longest movie of all time, it's always, like, some BS, like, not even a movie, 16-hour nonsense that was clearly only made so they could break the record. And that's the kind of nonsense that gets me riled up. Because, like, I enjoy me a long movie. It, like, don't get me wrong, a long movie is is a tough pill to swallow, but when it's done well, I really enjoy it. 
And this was done really well. And like, this is one of those movies that like probably could have been split into two parts, probably could have been another hour. Like there's a lot that you could have done with this movie to make it like more expansive. But like, I think what they did with it was enough. How long is just the director's cut of this one? Um, let's find out. Uh, three twenty. See, so you, you it's probably would like hour. that one more. You probably would like that one. More. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I don't know because, and not to say that like the length, like I said, the length of this movie didn't like turn me off or anything. It's just my approach to watching this movie had to be different because of it. Um, yeah, that's valid. When. I watch these movies, right? I make a day of it. I try to at least. Um, And what happened with Two Towers and it happened with this is where I I started too early in the day and like I fully, I had not fully woken up yet. So I got like 90 minutes into the movie and like my brain is still tired. I comprehended everything that happened, but like I'm not ready to do this. So like I do have to walk away. For two towers, I came back later that day. For this movie, I had to um I waited until the next day, I think. Um just because I wanted to make sure that I was in the right headspace to give this movie the attention it deserves. Mm-hmm. And so they're re-releasing this for like the the 20th anniversary. And I cannot imagine sitting in the theater for three and a half or four and a half hours. Like, that's crazy. I'll do it. I'll be there. Oh, yeah. And listen, (laughs) uh, mad respect. I just like I would need to like walk out like when I'm sure when they're when they're prepping for battle, I'll be like they prep for battle for a while. I can take a breather. I got to (laughs) pee. Yeah. Um, Uh, So from what I understand. Sorry. What is the difference in budget between? this movie and the other ones because this one looks like 10 times better than two towers did well they were like this is the finale they i i don't know i felt like there were more moments in this movie that were reliant on cgi and as we talked before the movie the parts of this movie that rely on cgi um struggle so this movie opens right with um smeagol and deagle discovering the ring and there's a shot of i think it's deagle like being carried through the river while getting Mm -hmm. the ring that shot looked like garbage um but as it went i like like because it's because it stands out um i i wrote down most of the moments that i felt like looked bad because of the cgi um and like cinematography there were some shots in this movie that i felt like weren't great um but i understand that this is a product of its time so like i'm not holding the cgi against it um because I feel like, you know, if they were to just remaster the CG today, it would look fantastic. So I'm not I'm not too worried about what it looked like in terms of computer stuff. Um, and from what I can tell, uh, according to Box Office Mojo, um, yeah, they all had about the same budget. Um, and I don't know if, they, if it was a lumped budget or not. Because in 2000, you would make a movie like this for $30 million. Like, um, mm-hmm. I think I think Return of the Sith had like a fifty million dollar budget. Um, so I don't know if it's listed as because it's listed on Box Office Mojo was ninety three million 
for Fellowship, 94 for Two Towers, and 94 for Return of the King. So those numbers just seem too specific to be like... I feel like some budgets were lumped because all these movies were made at the same time. They were filmed back to back. Um, Yeah. So I don't know if the budgets kind of just carried over or not. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. But I'm not going to look into it any further. So I might be spreading fake news, and I'm okay (laughs) with that. All I know is if they're going to make an Akatar show, it has to at least have that budget to beat anyone. <laughs> yeah. Can we get Peter Jackson to direct the Akatar show? <laughs> please. Please. I will say I forgot how quickly Smeagol gets corrupted by the ring. Yeah, it's instant, Like, it is dude. quick. And... That scene with Smeagol and Deagle, I don't know if it's in the Return of the King book, but that scene is in the Hobbit book. I know that scene very well because I remember reading it in the Hobbit. Um, So it Uh was kind of cool to see that scene um, materialized. Um, I think I think um, it's weird seeing Andy Serkis as Gollum, but like Andy Serkis as Gollum yeah. and not, you know, a 3D rendering of Gollum. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like that's a that it, it shows the Gollum characteristics so effortlessly and so quickly and so dynamically that like you're like, "Oh, yeah, this makes sense how this happened." The transition is so creepy though. Like so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the beginning of this movie, from what I understand, the final confrontation with Saruman is not in the theatrical cut of this movie, which is crazy because that scene is so important. So important. I can't imagine that it, that why, why it would get cut. So, first of all, Saruman, I wish was in more of these movies. I wish Saruman was in more of these movies. So it was nice to kind of have this closure on Saruman and the whole deal. Um, I wanted to kick him off that tower. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I, <laughs> I wrote this note that says, uh, everyone is so worried about Frodo and whether or not he's alive, but he has gotten into significantly few life-threatening scrapes, which... <laughs> is still true. <laughs> like in every Lord of the Rings movie, Frodo himself is in danger maybe twice. And so Return of the King, everyone's like, I hope Frodo's still alive. We haven't heard from him or anything. Meanwhile, Frodo and Sam are just climbing up a mountain, you know, just kind of doing their thing. And I'm like, they're fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, yeah, we're all here fighting off these Urkai and orcs fighting for our lives every day while they're just trekking them up a mountain with a corrupted man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so after the scene with Saruman, um, again, another reason why I have no reason to believe why that scene would get cut is um, Gandalf gets possession of uh, Saruman's vision orb. I don't know if it has a name. It's a crystal ball. And, <laughs> Uh, Pippin grabs it first and Gandalf is like, hey, don't touch that. That's, you know, it's for evil. And Gandalf takes it. He holds it under his cloak. He falls asleep protecting it. And Pippin, obviously with some corruption of of Sauron in there, I'm not placing it entirely on him. However, watching Pippin steal the orb and like activate it, like 
I would not blame Gandalf if he just killed Pippin right then and there. At like, least. I would have been so mad. Because wasn't Pippin also the one where, in the mines of Moria, he knocked those bones down the well and alerted the enemies to their presence? Like, Pippin is messing up constantly. And that's why he gets sent away. Yeah. Which. And so, yeah. Them Getting split up is also very sad to me because they're best buddies and they love each other and Pippin and Mary never need to be apart. It It is sad, but I also, un- like, Mary speaks some facts during his, like, true goodbye monologue. Because he's like, listen, we've been by each other's side all the time, but, like, you cannot apologize your way out of this mess up. Like, you've screwed up a bunch, and I can't keep defending you if you don't change your action. So, like, if Gandalf wants to take you away, he has every right to do that. Exactly. And I'm like, you are so right, Mary. You got this. (laughs) I just, I like how they... I always like how they have a bit of a bigger part in this movie. Yes, because I think before this movie, I didn't know which one was Merry or Pippin. So um, I, now I know the difference, I think. That tracks I for think. a first-time watcher. Oh, my. That that had so much entitlement on that sentence. Well, that I makes didn't sense mean to. for a first-time watcher. I didn't mean for it to. I was just giggling while I said it. I promise. Uh, wow! I didn't you mean it. You and your it. multiple viewings. I didn't wow. mean hey. it. Please forgive Check your franchise me. privilege. I didn't mean <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's. I assume this happens next. I watched this movie a week ago. Some of the details elude me. Um, Ditto. So let's talk about Arwen for a second. Uh, Arwen, Aragorn, and Eowyn. A love triangle that I was not expecting. So, right, they're um, still in Rohan, um, Aragorn and Eowyn. And Eowyn is flirting hardcore with Aragorn. Like, it is, like, she is laying down the riz with purpose, And Aragorn, who is fully committed to Arwen and is doing this quest almost entirely to save her essence, is like kind of like digging it. Like he's like playing back. And I'm like, what are you doing? You you don't know this woman. She's just here. I think he so she's the daughter of one of the biggest allies they need. So I feel like he feels like he has to kind of play into it and be a gentleman. Otherwise they won't have the help they need. I think that Eowyn is a big enough woman to where she would not pull the troops of support that are also trying to protect their own city. Well, no, exactly. One man was not into her. Well, exactly. And that's why he, when he shuts her down, she's still, you know, rides into battle with them sure yeah just that part kind of caught me off guard and then we kind of get some more scenes of arwen we finally get some context as to why hugo weaving is such a helicopter dad um specifically since we've met him in this adventure because um with the power of sauron increasing um the elves are all imbued with the power of the deity of light whose name escapes me, Aya, Iwa, something like that. Um, 
with Sauron's power increasing, her life force is decreasing. So she, so Arwen is becoming mortal again. And so that kind of, that explanation helped me understand why Hugo Weaving was so adamant on getting Arwen to the Undying Lands and why Aragorn was so intent on, you know, leading this army. Mm -hmm. Helped give him more motivation. Yeah, definitely. Um, There's that scene where Aragorn, like, tucks Eowyn in when she's asleep on the couch or whatever in that room. And I'm like, man, I want him to tuck me in at night. Why can't that be me? I want that to be me. I just want, to, I just want anyone to tuck me in. God. I'm on um, my way. Okay, thanks. So <laughs> Gandalf and Pippin are on their way to uh, a, a town called Minas Tirith. It's effectively the capital of Gondor, the country that they're in. And this is where we really get introduced to um, Boromir and Faramir's dad, who sucks. Sucks. Big time. So is Faramir there when they arrive? If you don't remember, that's fine. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember. I don't. Mm. Regardless, so the scene starts and they're outside the castle of Minas Tirith and Gandalf says to Pippin, hey, don't mention that Boromir's dead and also don't mention that we were there when it happened. And so they walk into the castle, no words are exchanged and their dad just goes, why did my son die? And it kind of sets the tone for like his whole character. He's this very aggressive and mean and mournful, uh, just shell of a man. And at no point does he get better. Not even slightly. That man deserves everything that came at him. And this man is so despicable. Like, uh, (laughs) the interaction that I think frustrated, it was that kind of heartbreak that's frustrating, where um, Faramir is talking to his dad and he's like, And Faramir says to him, you wish it was me. You wish that Boromir was still alive and you wish that I was dead. And his dad goes, yes, that is exactly what I wish. And then his dad and then his dad goes on to say, we need to retake this city. And Faramir says, if we go, we'll split our troops and we'll lose the city and lose a bunch of our men in the process. And his dad says, I don't care. That's the price of war. And Faramir says, okay, I'll go lead the charge. And that was the most heartbreaking part of it all, where after being told that he was significantly unloved as the child of this person, of this father, he still decides, like, I respect you as my father enough to where I'm still going to probably die in this siege of an already lost city like that's the part that's like oh my god that crushes me every single time i will say that um this movie does not expand upon the relationship between faramir and eowyn as much as i'd like it to no, and as much as the books do not at all the books have way more here's the here's the relationship between faramir and eowyn they meet on the battlefield. They end up together. It's that's like, it. That's it, their whole relationship. It goes. It goes. Eowyn pining after Aragorn. Aragorn being like, since I first met you, all I've ever wished you is joy, which is the only acceptable letdown from here on out. And then 
they go into battle, and Eowyn is, like, over her father, and then Faramir sees her, and it's like, no! And then they're happily ever after. And I'm like, we could have used a... Because then it's like, no! But then it cuts to Aragorn taking care of Eowyn, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) Eowyn and Faramir are together. Yeah, it's... It's weird. There's a... Yeah. Yeah. The book did um, it better. Yeah. I, I'll take your word for it. I'm never going to find out. Um. So now we get to m- the first important Frodo scene of the movie. And at this point, we're like, what? An hour in? An hour 20, maybe? Like, a lot happens before we get an important Frodo scene. Um. And so they're climbing... They're effectively climbing Mount Doom at this point. Not like officially but they're like at the base um and they have to start like sleeping on rock cliffs and that gave me so much anxiety it was crazy and this scene has maybe my least favorite scene in the whole trilogy which is um Gollum in an attempt to sabotage their journey throws away the rest of their rations throws it off the mountain and when Frodo wakes up, Gollum is like, Sam ate all the rations because he doesn't care about you. And Frodo believes him for whatever reason. And he's like, okay, Sam, you're kicked off this journey. Go home. And I'm like, that was that was where I drew the line. Like Frodo had been defending Gollum over Sam this whole franchise. And like, again, corruption of the ring It's a hell of a drug. But this was the moment where I'm like, Frodo, you better walk that back right now. Right now. (laughs) Right now. You don't even know how good you have it, buddy. But yeah, that it was definitely the ring making him ultra paranoid. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like Sam has shown you time and time again that he's not going to be corrupted by this ring, as we learn later when there is that very heartfelt moment. Because time and time again, Sam is like, let me share this burden with you, please. Please let me take some of this burden and carry it myself. Like, we can do this together, but we need to work together. And Frodo, because he's had it beat into his head by Aragorn, Boromir and Gandalf is like no nobody else can touch this it's mine you all are gonna turn against me and then I have to complete this I have to complete this task and I'm like Frodo your buddy's been through hell with you chill and they get into this big like wrestling match which I must reiterate is on the edge of a cliff (laughs) And I cannot, they went at it with an enthusiasm as if that cliff was not there. And that was rough. That was rough. Yeah. That, so every, almost every Sam and Frodo scene in this movie has very high anxiety. Yeah. Um, and then this is like the only part of the franchise where we get like significant Sam and Frodo scenes, like b- not back to back, but in a timely manner. Um, because like more Rohan stuff and Gondor and Ministerith happens, like a lot of like lo- not a lot of world stuff happens in there. No big events like Pippin dedicates himself to the throne of Gondor, becomes um the dad's assistant. He sings to him this really weird song while he's eating. Um, 
Like there's a bunch of stuff like that. The next note that I have written down, it's about this it's it's about it's about the spider. I know that's the next one I have too. I I am not a spider person. No. I am not not a, not a fan of spiders. And let me tell you, there's a big spider in this movie. Yeah. And she has a name. Her name is Shelob. And I hate her. And I, I hate, hate her. her That's too. it. And because you know what? She looks really good. The animators did a great job with her, much to my personal chagrin. <sighs> you know I'm in the same boat as you. So just like, that's all I wanted to say about her is like, <laughs> hey, Shelob, she's a big spider. It's exactly what you'd expect. She's terrifying. Um, And this is where Sam reunites with Frodo. But Sam thinks that he's too late and Frodo is already dead. And so he, he says the so line. Ta- what? He says the line. He's like, don't go anywhere. I can't follow. Yeah. Um, it, it's a it's a very emotional moment if um, you're not watching through uh, the creases of your fingers like I was. Uh, and so Sam takes the ring for him. And he doesn't take the ring for himself. He takes the ring to attempt to complete the quest by himself. Frodo gets kidnapped by some Urukai. It's a whole thing. Like, when I say that this is the most complex that the Sam and Frodo plot gets, like, I mean it. Because once Sam and Frodo reunite, um, once Sam kind of saves him from the Urukai, then it's just climbing Mount Doom. And that's kind of all they got left. So, like, there's like an hour of this movie that we get some intense Sam and Frodo scenes. And that's like it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's such high emotion for the rest of those scenes, and you get, like, the best evil Frodo memes that come out of that bit, and I don't remember where I was taking this, so... That's okay. On to you. (laughs) Happens to the best of us. (laughs) Um, So, now we're reaching kind of, like, this is where we start reaching third act of the movie, and because this movie is so long... The third act of this movie is almost half of it. Um, this is where you get the Battle of Minas Tirith, um, which is kind of the the big kickoff to this whole thing. Um, and all, I mean, it's not quite the third act because Aragorn still has to go get his ghost army and whatnot, which like, whatever. It happens. Um, and <laughs> there was this moment that I found kind of funny. And I think it's a really good representation of how I feel about Mary versus how I feel about Pippin, which is like, during the Battle of Minas Tirith, um, Pippin tries to fight, and Gandalf is like, the battlefield is no place for a hobbit, and Pippin kind of scurries away. Um, and then at the same time, uh, the Rohan army is gearing up, and Merry gets told, the battlefield is no place for a hobbit. And Eowyn is like, hey, he's got skin in this game too. Let him fight. And then the Battle of Rohan shows up, and Merry starts kicking ass. Like, kicking ass. He is... He is like a valiant soldier on the field. And just and I love that dichotomy because like they're both told the same thing, but Mary's like, I'm gonna kill people anyway, whatever. And Pippin gets like one dude. It's literally my favorite. And the fact that they're all like, for Frodo. That's a good Yes. Yeah, and Frodo gets talked about more in this movie than in Two Towers. I don't even know if they bring up Frodo much at all in the Two Towers, like Aragorn and everyone like that. Um, Because there's a moment where, like, when Gandalf meets Faramir, he's like, 
hey, have you met like a halfling before? Because like we really need to know if he's alive. And Faramir's like, yeah, I saw him like two days ago. He's totally fine. Um, And that kind of reignites hope. And everyone's like, we still have a chance. We have to, you know, make sure that they have opportunities to make it to Mount Doom. Um, I don't want this to just kind of be like a plot recap because so much happens. Um, So I'll kind of just keep going with what I have in the notes. Um, mm-hmm. So the Battle of Minas Tirith, right, suffers because the Battle of Helm's Deep was so good. Yeah, a little bit. And I think the Battle of Black Gate has the same problem, but we'll get to that. Um, oh, that's, and so the Battle that's of Minas the one, Tirith. That's the one where they're like, for Frodo, I mixed it up. Might be. Yeah. We'll go back to that. Um, sure. And so the Battle of Minas Tirith has the same scale of the Battle of Helm's Deep. You know, they're trying to protect this single location against Sauron's army. They're waiting on reinforcements from somewhere else. Um, it is a severely under-equipped army, and they're just doing their best. So it's a very similar battle, but even though the stakes are higher, because this is the capital of Gondor, like, everything kind of rests on this battle, um, it still didn't have quite the same punch because I just loved the action and the teamwork and the synergy and the choreography of Helm's Deep so much more. Like, aside from the Oliphants, like, and the Ghost Army, not too much was different about this fight compared to Helm's Deep. And plus, it wasn't as long. Like, Helm's Deep was a marathon. And that's what makes that fight so special because we are just engaged. We are just as aware of how long this fight is taking as the people that are participating in the fight. Yeah, and I say, I'll say um, Legolas and Gimli still counting kills absolutely kills me <laughs> because oh, they're yeah. like, that's how they so good. keep themselves focused and keep themselves from getting too distraught, I feel like. Um and when they go to, like, get the ghost army, Gimli's reaction to walking on all the skulls would be my exact reaction. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, one skull, fine. An ocean of skulls is freaky. Count me out. Um, Legolas taking down that Oliphant by himself. Amazing. Is so good. So good. Like, I would watch four hours of just Legolas doing Legolas shit. This is true. Absolutely. I just want to see Legless being Legless. <laughs> and I was talking to my friend about this and I was like, I know that Legolas is in, in the Hobbit movies. And he immediately corrects me and says, he shouldn't be. He is, but he shouldn't be. And I'm like, okay, fine. But is he the only fellowship character that's in the Hobbit? And he's like, effectively, yes. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice to look forward to. Cause, uh, just if I get if I get nothing from the Hobbit movies except more Legolas, I will be okay <laughs> with that. That's you know what? That's valid. That's very valid. Um, and just some more kind of lore stuff that I found interesting is mm, I brought this to my resident Lord of the Rings nerd, and I was like, why doesn't Gandalf do magic? Like, in this entire franchise, we see Gandalf use magic, like, maybe five times. And I kind of feel like magic is kind of, would kind of turn the tides of battle pretty quick. And um, the answer that I got was, like, the person that gave Gandalf and Saruman and all the other wizards their powers 
kind of gave it to them on a stipulation that was like, you cannot affect the manners of man without using tools that man themselves cannot use. So Gandalf can still fight in battles, but he's using a sword because a man can use a sword. He cannot use magic because a man cannot use magic, which is why he's severely limited in the kind of magics that he's able to do during this journey. And it's little details like that that I think make this world so interesting. And while it would be nice to kind of get some of these details in the movie, but like we're already stretching like almost 12 hours in terms of three movies. So I understand there's only so much you can put into it. And I'm really invested in this franchise. And it's because of details like that. And I think that also goes to show just how far the corruption in Saruman had gone because he had, you know, his little orb, as we discussed, which, you know, compelled people because, you know, it was, it was a link to Sauron directly. And so it kind of shows that, you know, Saruman was using his magic against Gandalf in Fellowship and actively using it to corrupt humans and man itself. Yeah, so I, I, I just really like those little details. Um, so in the Battle of Minas Tirith, we get, I think, the least impactful death in maybe this whole franchise, which is the death of Theoden. And not because like our, uh, Eowyn's reaction isn't solid, but this is the moment I was talking about. Uh, just like absolutely just like... The cinematography choices made for that shot, I think, ruined it. Because when Theoden dies, it's this super choppy, not true slow motion. Um, Eowyn's reaction is framed in a really funky manner. Um, And getting all those character reactions, I think, kind of just like killed the pace of his death. And um, the way it was dragged out was kind of ineffective. So Theoden's death, I think, really kind of just needed to be entirely reworked. Um, That being said, uh, Eowyn chopping off the head of a Nazgul and then stabbing the ring witch in the face. That's that's sick as hell. So badass. Like, yeah. Like, the line she says, kind of corny. Not great. However... The fact that she just does it, like, that's great. Big fan of that. Love it. She was like, take that, bitch. Um, At least that's what we wish she would have said instead of, I am no man, which is still very powerful, but take that, bitch has a little bit more of a oomph to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, So then the next thing that I kind of wanted to jump to is where we start to get into the genuine climax of the movie. This is where we get the Battle of the Black Gate. This is where we get Sam and Frodo actively climbing Mount Doom um, and having their confrontation inside of Mount Doom. Um, And that's kind of, and so this is where we get to like the final sequences. Um, The Battle of Blackgate itself, I did not find very interesting. However, the, you know, these lines are iconic for a reason. You know, when Gimli says, I never imagined I'd die fighting beside an elf. And Legolas says, how about how about fighting beside a friend like that <laughs> man that's some that is a good that's some good stuff and then this is where they're like for frodo which is 
one of my favorite parts. Yeah, it's and this was something that I talked about in the fellowship conversation is the best parts about this movie and this in this franchise is the unification of people. And so in fellowship, everyone almost blindly follows Frodo because they understand the importance of his quest. And that theme is mirrored here at the end of the movie because they have finally unified their people. You know, the armies of Rohan, Gondor, um, like everybody is here in this moment to help Frodo get across Mordor and climb Mount Doom. And that is more important than the battle itself. The fact that these people have finally come together for one purpose, and that purpose is Frodo. I definitely agree that that is one of my favorite aspects of this story is unification and how even like at the very end, they're like, we dissolved the fellowship, but like we're all best buddies still. (laughs) Yeah, we dissolved the fellowship because the fellowship wasn't needed anymore. But like the spirit of the fellowship lives on forever. Um, And um, just to pivot... Gollum bit his finger off. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. That shows the desperation. He's like, you're wearing the ring, so this is a way to get it off of you. Yeah. So when they're finally in Mount Doom and um, there's like a moment where Frodo doesn't want to throw the ring away and Sam's like, you have to throw the ring away. And Gollum's just like, I'll take the ring. For, and, uh, and like you said, in a desperate attempt to seize the ring for himself, bites Frodo's finger. And let me be clear, not clean off. It's it's rough. It doesn't look great. Um, And this is what I want to point out specifically about that scene is Sam and Frodo look awful. They look terrible. Like Frodo's lips are chapped to hell and back. Sam's eyes are bloodshot and he's sweating from the bags under his eyes. Like these two look awful. So like, I just wanted to give props to the makeup team for that because it looks fantastic. It really, and then just like, smiling at each other in relief as they look that horrible. That's a moment. Yeah. And so um, the fight between like the final confrontation between Frodo and Gollum, um, I think it would have been nice to see Frodo have his moment of overcoming the corruption to throw the ring away. Like the fact that the ring makes it into the lava because Gollum messed up was a little bit of a shortcoming in my opinion. Um, but I get it's still a pretty it's still a cool moment. Yes, definitely. Um, and then everything kind of wraps itself up after that. Um, they get carried away by the eagles, whatever. Um, and what I like about the end of this movie, the final like ten minutes, is we f- we get a really good scale of like how long this took. And the toll that it took on the people that took it. Um, Because it took like a little over a year for the whole thing to happen. Um, And then it takes four more years for Frodo to like really come to terms with everything that's happened. 
So like this, it's this like five year, like mental journey and how everybody has changed afterwards. I think this movie does a good job at kind of being like, here's how everybody stands now without doing like a cheesy, like here's where they are now montage sequence. Yeah. And you know, I always, like I said, I cry for the last like 45 minutes of this movie I cry when Aragorn finally gets crowned. I cry when he reunites with Arwen. I cry when everybody bows for the hobbits for their duty. Because that's the he's note. Like, he's like, you bow for no one. And then everybody bows for them. And I'm like, yes, little men. Yes. That That's the that's the final note that I have is like the moment where everybody bows for the hobbits. That is a very cool moment. That moment alone is worth the four hour journey it takes to get there. Like it is a genuinely beautiful moment of characterization and cinematography. Like that moment is everything to be art, to be artsy fartsy about it. Like that movie or that moment is cinema. That is like the reason we watch movies. Yes, it is um, everything. So I really appreciate that. Um, and then I think the final heartbreaking scene is the final part of the movie <laughs> when Frodo uh, goes to the Undying Lands with the elves and, you know, finally breaks off like this group of hobbits. And for the record, I get it. You know, um, when you go through the trauma that Frodo went through, um, I can understand kind of wanting to get out of Dodge. And he wanted to be with, he wanted to be with Bilbo as well. He wanted, he wanted to be with Bilbo. Yes. Yeah. So all in all, I think um, this movie has more good than bad. I understand that I've been critiquing this movie a lot. And I don't know why that's the tone I took with this movie. I still enjoy this movie. Um, even though I like Fellowship the best, like this movie has so much amazing um, characterization moments. So like Fellowship, I think probably has the best story. Two Towers has the best action. And this has the best character moments. So all three movies have their reasons to shine. Um, now, do I think that a lot of this movie's praises come from the fact that it is the final movie in a beloved trilogy? Yes. Do I think that this movie deserves to be the most, the second most awarded movie of all time? Maybe. I th Like I said, I think this movie's, all the awards for this movie are representative of everything that came before it as well. Mm. And hey, don't, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that. We just have to recognize it. That this movie's good. It's not perfect. Um, so and I think what that, are you rating? Uh, flat eight. Flat eight. Valid. Like I said, I was super critical in what I talked about during this movie. But I enjoy this movie a lot. And I want to watch these movies again. Not for a minute. It'll be a bit. <laughs> but like... I, I want to live in this world for longer. I want to watch the Hobbit movies. I want to watch uh, Rings of Power. You know, I am invested in this world. And I uh, I appreciate it a lot. 
That makes me so happy to hear. I'm so, so happy that you're so invested in this. And I can't wait to watch the Hobbit movies with you and discuss them with you here sometime in the near future. So everybody can look forward to that. And then, of course, we'll have to watch Rings of Power because hello. Yeah, I already bought the extended editions of the Hobbit movies. So, like, I'm pot committed. You're in. Um, I also give this one a flat eight myself i like i've i've just sang my praises this entire time i don't need to rehash it if you've been paying attention you know why and (laughs) aragorn have my babies thank you that is all okay um (laughs) so we're gonna move on (laughs) april we are doing so back in november right we did movie musicals we did movies that were musicals now We're doing musical movies, which is different because they're movie adaptations of already existing musicals. Get it? Very, very specific distinction. Um, So we are doing four movies that are adaptations of Broadway productions. Specifically, we are doing Phantom of the Opera, followed by Chicago, followed by Guys and Dolls. Followed and rounded out with cats. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. We get to let our inner theater child run free once again. I am so excited. Because um, I think I've only seen Phantom and I watched it in like seventh grade. But I'm familiar with the soundtracks from all these movies. I was in Guys and Dolls in middle school. So um, I'm familiar with all this music. I'm very excited to like actively watch them now. Yes, I'm super excited for this upcoming month. But before we say our goodbyes, Craig, there is one final question you have to answer as your first time watcher. What is your final rating for the entire Lord of the Rings franchise? So I do this a lot where um, I think the sum of all parts is greater than the individual pieces, right? Um, So even though I think the highest movie I gave, I think I gave Fellowship eight and a quarter. um, Mm -hmm. I think as a franchise, it lives at an eight and a half. Like together, they boost each other up. So I I think I give this franchise as a whole, I mean, uh, this, this trilogy as a whole, I think sits at like eight and a half. Phenomenal. Love to hear it. And on that note, I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. Thanks for watching. Wow. Hold on. Hold on. We're going to just redo that entirely. Hey, if you were watching, (laughs) how? Where are you? Where where am I? Where am I? (laughs) Okay. Hold on. Rewind it. And on that note, I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. (laughs) Thanks for listening. To our Lord of the Rings episode. We'll catch you next month with our movie musicals. Our m- musical movies? Musical movies. Musical movies. Very you know what? specific distinction. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah!